Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wild, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. Today we have another Above the Line Contenders episode coming at you with our other half of the acting category. So we'll be talking about supporting actor and supporting actress, but to do so, we have a special guest. Yeah, I'm so excited to welcome back our guest. You first heard him in our first season talking about the 2010 Oscars as one of our really early guests. We're forever grateful for that. Again, on our second award season fantasy draft, where he was on a team with the great Joyce Ang, and last year on our contender series discussing the mm-hmm. best actor and actress nominees. He is, of course, the host of the legendary Oscar podcast, and the runner up is please welcome back Kevin Jacobson. Thank you. I am very excited to talk about supporting categories this time around. I can't say that I do it very often, so thank you for this opportunity. Of course. A good little twist. Mm-hmm. We love a twist. <laughs> yes, of course. So let's get right into supporting actor, because I know we're going to have a lot to say about all of these nominees. So the nominees in this category, we have Brendan Gleeson in The Banshees of Inishirin, Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway, Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan in The Banshees of Inishirin, and Kihoi Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Starting with Brendan Gleeson as Colm in The Banshees of Inishirin. This is his first Oscar nomination. So far, he's been nominated at all of the big award shows, Golden Globes, SAG, Critics' Choice, and BAFTA. He won the NBR Award. How do you both feel about his nomination here, his performance compared to other performances too uh well brendan gleason is definitely one of those guys where it kind of is like a lot of people actually who are getting their first nominations this year in supporting which is like i feel like they should have been nominated already and yet it's 2023 and how is this their first nomination this is a very good case of that i think because he has been he has been putting in the work in all kinds of films blockbusters indies comedies he won an Emmy for playing Winston Churchill. Like, he's he's been everywhere. I'm actually glad, though, that he is getting this first nomination for a performance that is not necessarily, like, the big transformation, because sometimes he does play those kind of transformative parts in the past. So it's just him kind of relying on his own skills and not needing any of the bells and whistles and kind of taking a character like this who is intentionally having to be underplayed, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I love just the kind of calmness that he has and even, like, the certainty when he says, like, I just don't like you anymore, you know? Just, like, in that one exchange, it's you you know everything. It's that sort of defeatist attitude sometimes that's just clouding over everything um, and really representing this person who I think once you get to a certain age you're just tired. You know, you're kind of just tired of all the trivial parts of life and you just, you know, the end is near and you have to be focused on the things that are more important. So I think he really, really excels in that. And it's one of the performances from Banshees that has stuck with me actually because of how how underplayed and how true to life it feels, how grounded he is, the way he walks. That It's like I said, like that kind of cloud over everything. So... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this nomination. Yeah, me too. And you mentioned how he often transforms. 
I think of a key transformation potion, the polyjuice potion, and his work as Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies. Mm -hmm. Just my age a little bit, but that is definitely the Brendan Gleeson I think of first. But of course, you know, he's worked with Scorsese, the Coens, he's done voice work, worked with McDonough and Colin Farrell in, in Bruges. And I think that here, you really do see that easy rapport that he and Farrell have together on screen. It is believable that these two have been friends for years and why the fallout could hurt so badly right and i think that there's something so simple and deep that has stuck with me about this performance in just the way that column will look at Paulrick. there's something that's both somehow very clear it's like get away from me do not talk to me ever again i will cut my fingers off but also there's a, a mystery and an enigma there that makes you want to pursue him further and talk to him further and keep that relationship going. And that's something I think that only an actor like Gleason could have achieved with this script. So yeah, I, I love this performance. I think that, like you mentioned, when you get older and you have new ways of looking at your life and reassessing those relationships, that's why this performance in particular stuck with me because you do want to shake him in the same way that you do Pawrick at times and say like why are you doing this you don't need to just like play your tunes on the fiddle you can actually have meaningful relationships but at the same time there's something there where you're like okay I get it I I understand you're at a different stage of your life and you want to think about what's important to you in a different way I think in terms of Brendan, I love his appearance here, and I think it's just coming at the right point in his career. He is at that stage where he can kind of look back at his own life, too, and process what he's done and put all that into the character, let alone Colm, who wants a change, who wants to make a name for himself for prosperity. And I love how stoic Brendan is in this performance. He's also real with everybody and so is Shaban but he exudes this confidence that I don't think anybody else has on this island so I love how he can speak his mind yet kind of keep to himself at the same time and I don't really understand or get the whole cutting the fingers off thing because you know it's hurting his own craft but speaking to his previous work I do love his work with McDonough in Bruges, you meant you mentioned all of his great roles. And yeah, I think this is a perfect first nomination. You know, it comes late in his career, but I love it nonetheless. So what do you both think should be his Oscar scene? Kevin, you go first. It's interesting because he does not have the traditional kind of obvious speech or crying moment or shouting moment even because of how underplayed this performance is. I sort of think one of the confessional scenes might work best for him especially when the priest is kind of asking like is the despair still there and Mm -hmm. he just kind of has to sit with that and then when when he also asks like are you gonna do anything about it and he says no and it's just I, i i love the way he very gradually is processing what it is that he's going through so i think i guess that one i mean like i said it's it's tough to find the one as opposed to a lot of others here. 
I completely agree. There are so many scenes that showcase his abilities as an actor in this role, but that is the scene that I come back to. It's that specific confession. And I love how McDonough, he crafts this like folk tale or fairy tale where, yes, it's so hard to believe that someone would actually cut their fingers off for something so petty, let alone when they're a musician, right? It makes no sense. But you have to be able to suspend your disbelief. And this is one of those scenes where I keep coming back to that, where there's this dark humor that McDonough and Gleason pull off here, where the priest mentions, like, you know, that's self-mutilation. And Gleason's just like, huh, it is? Like, oh, okay. There's this funny little moment there. But then that switch to the comment about feeling the despair, you see, right, how he modulates in this performance and we have the humor balanced with that deep sense of introspection and you feel like okay there's a lot more to this character that will stay with me for weeks after i watch this movie well we're three for three i picked the same scene (laughs) love it i love how he's shot in profile in this because it also gives him this villainous appearance almost and that's a lot of how he was portrayed in his filmography too but in that way that I say he's stoic he just looks ahead and I love the cross and the background with the light I think the lighting is great throughout the film but yeah he just answers him so honestly so serenely as if either none of it mattered or that you know he doesn't he doesn't care he again wants to be left alone by this priest too. So I love this scene. And I also thought about his legacy speech, you know, when Pawrick is yelling at him, but it kind of showcases Colin Farrell too much, but I do love what he's getting at there as well. Yeah. Oh, just a great performance all around. Next up, we have Brian Tyree Henry as James in Causeway. This was a nomination. I will just say it off the top here that made me scream when it was announced. I was so excited. Such a great surprise. This is his first Oscar nomination. And this season, he was only nominated at Critics' Choice and Indie Spirits. What do you guys think of Brian Tyree Henry as an actor? And what do you think of his performance as James here? Uh, Well, I'm thrilled with this nomination. I really kind of thought that Causeway was too small, maybe, to really register with the Academy, considering he wasn't getting those other nominations. And also that, you know, his work is so subtle that we know the Academy, they don't always love that. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Especially in this category that tends to favor the big performances. But yeah, I do think it speaks to his growing popularity in the industry. You know, I, I get the sense that people are rooting for him and have kind of wanted him to get the right roles to really showcase his talent. I loved him on Atlanta. I think he has a fantastic scene in If Beale Street Could Talk. And, you know, but with some of his blockbuster roles, I I just think he's a little more suited to things like this, personally speaking. There is just such an ease in his style that is really fascinating to watch and he's able to draw you in because he doesn't have to ham it up to really show his character's pain like this is another character who's in a lot of pain as well and what he's had to kind of suppress and you know the moment in the film where he reveals what it is that is that's been weighing on him so much 
it's played out it's so naturalistic and just how he just gradually reveals this in a casual conversation and he keeps his guard up because i think it would hurt too much to actually dwell on it you know but that's also part of the reason i think both him and the jennifer lawrence character really connect is that feeling of being young but still having gone through something traumatic you know it feels like they're on a level ground with each other and yeah i think him as an actor he really projects a certain level of kind of almost like a masculine confidence that uh you know you're kind of drawn in by it but then you're seeing the more sensitive side underneath as he kind of endears himself to you more so yeah it's a really beautiful understated performance that i'm glad the academy took notice of yeah i'm surprised they didn't nominate jen as well just because they love her and this movie really is about them too and their chemistry together and i love how honest brian tyree henry is i think out of all the nominees we get to see his character the best like his own character because he has these wonderful and impressive dramatic line readings that aren't big. You know, nothing is showy here. Exactly what you said, Kevin. And Mm. it's just refreshing to see that once in a while, especially here at the Oscars. And for him, he's been in movies that I don't really remember him in, which maybe is saying something about, you know, the performances he's given. But being in Eternals, he was in Widows. I do remember that. That was wonderful the Best Picture nominee, Joker, and then I didn't see Bullet Train, but I remember him in the trailer. He is sitting across from Brad Pitt. That's all I know about that movie. But That's um, okay. You can just stop there with, with <laughs> Bullet Train. We don't need to go further. <laughs> Let's stop that train. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but being in a film against Jennifer Lawrence, he very much holds his own, and it really is a double bill because of how well he performs and they kind of play off of each other at times and they hold each other up and it's really impressive and heartwarming to see this happen throughout the film and it's so palpable in how they interact and how they help each other there are different scenes there's one scene at a bar where they're trying to get rid of this other guy who came to speak to her and the way that he's there to watch her and to see if she needs help, you know, he's he doesn't jump in. It's, again, a breath of fresh air because I think other actors would have taken this over the top. That scene in particular, I think it also hits on what you said, Kevin, about him having this masculine energy. But then in his roles, there is something more sensitive there that he brings to the part and... I think Brian Tyree Henry, he's always been cited as this standout actor or a scene stealer. That's what we always hear with him, whether it's TV, stage, film. And I'm so glad that he actually was recognized for that in supporting because also we have category fraud that creeps in every year. So it's pretty rare that someone who is a true supporting player and can hold their own against the lead and even sometimes steal the scenes out from under them I feel like that's really important and here I feel like what he does that is so impressive to me is that we slowly see their bond grow right the bond between James and between Lindsay the Jennifer Lawrence character throughout the movie and 
he does that so delicately in becoming more vulnerable with her, but also being very protective of her. And that's that perfect balance again of that traditional masculinity, the way we think about it and the sensitivity. And it reminds me of a lot of films that we would get in the seventies, like my favorite decade of filmmaking, where they're just these like solid stories about people in circumstances that we might not be familiar with, but they don't have anything that's like crazy happening to them from the outside world, or they're not these big franchise films. They're just small, solid films with strong performances at the center. And that's something that's so welcome to me this year. And I feel like he just does such a wonderful job of showing the trauma that he's experienced, but never letting that trauma overshadow what Lindsay is experiencing as a war vet with PTSD, right? This film, Causeway, is her story, but in certain scenes, you realize that it's not just her story alone. It's the way that she interacts with him and discovering what he's been through in this new relationship that she finds, this new friendship. So yeah, I feel like the movie itself was really successful for me and his performance was a big reason why. I also, speaking about Jennifer Lawrence briefly, just love her when she's not in David O. Russell or Adam McKay territory doing these like over the top performances. Sometimes I still like those, but I totally prefer her in a film like this. Yeah, this is going back to like her winter's bone days. Yeah, exactly. And he has a number of scenes, I think. But what would you guys pick for his Oscar scene? Uh, I think the one where he is gradually revealing the truth, which is that he was not being responsible with the child that he lost Mm -hmm. by letting him, you know, sit in the passenger seat. I think that is really beautifully done, especially because he doesn't treat it like okay, this is my big moment, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he still has that kind of stoic energy that he has been presenting himself as up to that point. But it's like gradually revealing this thing that he probably hasn't told a lot of people. And maybe he hasn't even gotten down exactly all the details of it. And he's just slowly unpacking exactly what happened. Um, and I just, I feel like I recognize like people in my life, family, friends, and how they might describe their own kind of traumas. And it, it, it just feels very authentic to me. I know it's not super loud and in your face, but it really took me aback just seeing that revelation scene. Is this when they're on the bench or from the yeah, pool? Yeah, that one. Because the later scene for me is what I would pick when they're in the pool and he's getting out. It This is sort of this big climactic moment where things get really big, but it's the part after that that I would show. So Lindsay asks him, were you drinking? Because in this moment, she can see him. She she understands that there's more to this situation. And he doesn't at first respond with words. He just, he like chokes back this sob. And the way that he just shows you what he's feeling and his reaction just admits everything. And my God, it's, I mean, it's giving me chills to think about it because it's just so perfect and subdued and real that I love this part so much. His just cold reaction to somebody who gets what happened and 
is giving it back to him for probably the first time in his life. Nick, we are really aligned because I have that exact (laughs) part written down for what my scene would be. I think because the whole movie, he is sort of trying to show Lindsay that he understands her, right? Or that he understands what she's been going through and that he's there as the sounding board for her. And in those two key moments, the scene with the bench and the scene in the pool, that's where we really, I think, get his masterclass in acting And that scene in the pool when he gets out, what's so heartbreaking is when she asks him that and you see on his face, oh, like she she's on to me, but also she she gets me in a different sort of way. And the delivery of I had two beers is so perfect. I can't even explain why it's great, but it's just that type of performance where someone so deeply understands the experiences of the character and how that character would react. And when they finally do decide to speak and to say something, it's it's that line, which I feel like we've heard so many times before when alcohol comes up. But the way that he says it is just, it's pitch perfect to me. Okay, our next nominee is Judd Hirsch as Boris in The Fablemans. This is his second Oscar nomination. His previous one, it's a record, right, for the time between nominations. So his first one was for Ordinary People in 1980. So far, this is his first nomination. We had Paul Dano coming in for The Fablemans as the more leading supporting performance, I guess, as Sammy's father. But how do you both feel about this nomination? Sophia, please talk about ordinary people a little bit and other other performances he's been in well i love that we had kevin a fellow ordinary people stan on for this episode with judd hirsch because yeah i mean i i love judd hirsch's nomination for ordinary people i would have given him the win in supporting and would have had timothy hutton and donald sutherland tie for best actor so that is my solution there just getting that on the record but as far as Hirsch's own background goes it's so interesting to think back on his career because he was in school to be an engineer up until his final semester and then he decided that's not what I want to do I need something that makes me feel something and that was art which connects directly to his character Boris in The Fablemans, which I think is a really, really beautiful connection. So he takes acting classes. He's in the Broadway version of Barefoot in the Park. And then he gets his big break on TV and Taxi. But Ordinary People, to me, is always the the standout performance because what he does in those therapy scenes is, I think, just breathtaking and incredible. The whole movie is perfect, but I love those therapy scenes. I feel like they're the core and the cornerstone of what makes that movie so spectacular. But I I love this performance too as Boris. This is a true supporting performance. And the scene in the movie that we will talk about when we talk about the Oscar scene because he really only has right, like one or two scenes in the movie, but when he's speaking to Sammy and just giving him the truth, it went straight to my heart. And it's because of his delivery. It's so eccentric and brash and over the top, but he's saying everything here that is so honest and so 
right for that character. And it's exactly what Sammy needs to hear and how, you know, people in the arts or people who have pursued something creatively, they all have a person who has said, like, these are the dangers of going down this road, but you have to do it to stay alive. And I think that Hirsch probably brought some of his own personal experience, I'm guessing, into that part. So I love this nomination. He might be my standout performer of the movie. I go back and forth, really, between him and Paul Dano and the wonderfully cute little Gabriel LaBelle. But yeah, I I love this performance, and I love Judd Hirsch, of course. Yes, uh, justice for these one-scene wonders, I will Mm -hmm. say, for this nomination. I'm glad we could get another, you know, Beatrice Strait moment, uh, Viola Davis in doubt, because I feel like they don't come around very often anymore. I don't know. We have a lot of frauding, you know, co-leads and supporting. This is a true traditional supporting nomination here. And I think it's really genuinely kind of impressive whenever something like this happens of someone who has like less than 10 minutes of screen time. It's just like in and out and still is able to make such a strong impression that you're still thinking about them by the end of the movie, which this is like a two and a half hour movie. And He comes in at like the hour mark and we don't see him again. So, you know, I think that's genuinely impressive. I don't know that I would have nominated him for this. I think he's really good in general. I think there are others, you know, that I probably would have preferred from the wide swath of options, but I'm so thrilled that this happened for him. I think he brings all of that wisdom and experience of working in this business for several decades at this point. And... I also just love that he is kind of in a same kind of character position as his nomination for Ordinary People in terms of just like having to help this young man sort through his stuff, you know? And here he is like 42 years later doing the same thing. I love his accent. That that's that feels very authentic to me. And he just feels like that kind of classic relative that comes around and makes a big impression and has all of these crazy stories and he's able to just kind of spin a web whenever he is speaking and telling his stories about working in the carnival and or in the circus and just you know and giving that very helpful advice uh you know family and art it'll tear you in two you know <laughs> and just like the kind of gusto that he has with it I think that's part of what landed him this nomination is that as a film, I would say that The Fablemans is relatively quiet in general. Obviously, there's a kind of storminess with the Michelle Williams character, but there's something very much like a breath of fresh air whenever he comes kind of blustering in and just nails it in 10 minutes and leaves. And (laughs) like I said, still thinking about him. So, yeah, I do love that he's here. You know, his placement in the film is kind of a dream anyway. And so to see him come in, him ravaging this chicken or whatever dinner (laughs) they've made and to give this speech and go, it it feels like a whirlwind too, like this tornado that we had earlier in the film too. Mm -hmm. But I think the accent that he gives, you know, it makes him... Even though he is a relative, it makes him feel like this outsider or this outcast that comes in, nobody understands him, and sort of like he isn't supposed to be there. So to give this really heartfelt speech, I think, gives an even greater impact, especially on Sammy. Um, I love that line, Kevin. That was my scene. So I'll find another line. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Again, there aren't many choices, but I think it's just his delivery, the grit that he gives to his voice and to the power behind his words, especially, you know, to make Sammy feel this besides pinching his face that it hurts so hard really gets his point across. Yeah, you could see why this would have such a lasting impression on him, you know, that he would never Mm -hmm. forget just this one little moment with his uncle. And speaking of forgetting, I didn't know he was in, or I didn't remember him being in Uncut Gems. Oh, Do either yeah. of you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, I, he's been in everything. Truly. I love Judd Hirsch. It's just... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's worked every year of his life, apparently, he says. He's never stopped wow. working. He just keeps working. <laughs> Good for him. I know. Okay, Oscar scenes. I guess, yeah. So, Kevin, you mentioned the line, but is that the mm-hmm. part of the scene you would pick or a different one? I mean, probably it would certainly packs a punch, you know, I mean, it's hard to say like what else within the same scene I would choose, but you know, where he says art is no game, it'll bite your head off. Just Mm -hmm. the way he attacks certain lines. I think there's so many options that you could choose, but yeah, probably the family art. That's what I would pick too. It's Mm -hmm. also just a great physical moment in his performance where he's, he has all this physical comedy as this character, Boris, who, like you said, Nick just comes in like a tornado. And that line delivery was one that really stuck with me. And I think clearly stuck with Sammy and Spielberg through this movie. And I, I can't imagine they'll pick something else when they do show us his Oscar scene. Yeah, it's mainly thinking about the audience, but I also love the line when he goes, art will give you crowns in heaven and laurels on earth, but it'll tear your heart out and leave you lonely, I think is also very real. The movie deserves more credit. Anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Screenplay on credit. To... Yeah. Yes. Just saying. Oh, very true. Next, we have Barry Keoghan as Dominic in The Banshees of Inisherin. This is his first Oscar nomination. This season, he's hit... All of the big precursors, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, SAG, and he, in somewhat of a shocker, I will say, won the BAFTA last week. So what do you guys think of Barry's performance as Dominic, and what do you think of this nomination? Well, Barry Keoghan is carving out such an interesting path as an actor. Maybe he's typecast at times as the kind of oddball or like the weirdo, the outcast but he plays that kind of role almost better than anyone, at least among younger actors working today, uh, because I think he is also able to humanize these characters that very easily could have been two-dimensional or caricatures. And, you know, for Banshees, it's like the worst case scenario for this is like John Mills and Ryan's daughter um, oh who won Best Supporting Actor <laughs> back in the 70s and really leaned into the kind of simplicity of that character in a way that is borderline offensive, but that's another story. I think here, uh, Barry just kind of, he's able to toe the line really nicely and the character, you know, doesn't have a lot of social awareness but there's also kind of a friendliness too that he doesn't come across as someone you would want to avoid and he gets these nice little moments of insight like uh when he tells paul rick that like when he was watching column he kind of observed that it looked like a weight was lifted off his shoulders just these kind of like little moments where he could have been so easily dismissed as 
certain characters do in the film kind of dismiss him at times, but he does know what's going on. Not always, but you, you see his perspective and kind of how pure it is and how to a certain respect he knows that he has to act in a certain way in order to survive because based on the context clues of the film, his father is abusive towards him. Um, but you see how he kind of tries to push that away and just focus on the positive. And I think you also see why someone like Paul Rick would be able to rely on him as kind of like a sounding board and someone to talk with about all this because he knows he will get some kind of truth and honesty from him no matter what. And I think Barry is able to just kind of fulfill that sort of sidekick character, but still make you feel like he is a person too. He's not there to just be defined by Polrick or anyone else. You know, he's living his own life, which just so happens to be full of heartbreak because of how cruel this island and this world can be at times. So yeah, to me, he really uh, brings out kind of the darkness at times of the story just in how pure he expresses himself as strange as that may sound but it's like you can see how people would take advantage of him and yeah it's just a very pure performance that it's another one from banshees that's really memorable and striking yeah even though he's the town dunce i love how barry allows you to see that he's constantly thinking And he's processing either what he's about to say or just things happening all around him. And it's not something I necessarily would have put into this character, but I think he does really well. And these moments come out when he's having these conversations with Paul Rick, either on the cliffside or at night on the wall when they're just sitting and talking. But there's also this profound sensitivity and emotion that I'll get to in my scene but I think he plays it really really well especially considering the roles he's done before I loved him in Killing of a Sacred Deer even though maybe that movie is a bit strange but also in Dunkirk and his very small role in the Batman which will have a bigger role in the next film but another Eternals co-star also. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Chloe, we need you back. (laughs) Truly, yes. Just not in the MCU. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree with what you both said about Barry's performance and about Dominic as a character. I think that, yeah, when I first started watching this movie, I thought, okay, there is McDonough giving us our stereotypical character, The Fool right? Like in a Shakespeare play or in a lot of stage work, we'll have that. But it's so much more than that. That character is way smarter than you first believe him to be. And I agree with you, Kevin. It's those lines. He has very specific lines. Sometimes they're used sparingly, where somehow you notice all of a sudden, okay, he actually understands this situation better than anyone else, maybe even better than Siobhan, who is the smartest character in the story. But there's a particular moment where Parikh tells him about how Calm has rejected him and pushed him away. And he responds, what is he, 12? And that's just, that's the perfect (laughs) way to describe everything. I love that. And it's interesting because he never quite fits in with any of the other characters he is even though 
Parik is excluded by Colm, Dominic is even more of an outsider in this story. Like, he doesn't know how to talk to Whitman at all. We'll talk about that when we get to Siobhan and maybe into our Oscar scenes. But he doesn't know how to talk to women. He is essentially Powerick's second choice. He's only really there when he's been rejected by Colm and Powerick needs someone to hang out with and someone to be his sounding board. And he has such a difficult home life that makes you understand where all of this is coming from and... It makes the humor that the character has, I think, it's so much more depressing to me in that way. It's like, oh, this character has this sense of humor because he's probably trying to fight off everything from his past or everything that he's currently going through at home. So I think Barry Keoghan does a wonderful job here. And this character is just so well written, too. So what would we pick for his Oscar scene? I love the heartbreaking scene with Shaban where, you know, it's his last ditch effort. His line reading of there goes that dream is just the most defeating thing you will see. And like we're all saying, you know, he is smarter than what he gives off. And just to see his defeat in that line is just the saddest of endings for characters in this movie. But it's also so perfect in understanding who he is and part of this story. Yes, uh, sometimes the most obvious scene is the correct scene <laughs> for mm-hmm. him, where, yeah, working up the courage to ask her out, and also just him kind of processing whenever she kind of lightly rejects him. And, yeah, you see just his heart breaking into a million pieces. It's, yeah, for me, it's like, I would compare it to last year's for Jesse Plemons in The Power of the Dog, you know, it's so nice mm-hmm. to not be alone. That's a similar kind of just like devastating one line, but it kind of defines the character. Was I more upset watching this scene in theaters or when the power of the dog lost best picture? Hmm. Mm. Maybe we won't talk about that today, but wow, that that really brought it back. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) This is the same. That's it's the same scene for me. You're right. It's it's the right choice. And not just because it's a scene that went viral and got a lot of attention, but it is also his interaction with Siobhan and her perfect, beautiful line delivery of I don't think so, love. Even though he's being rejected in that moment, it's hard because she's responding to it in the best way, really, that she can. But we know the fate of the character almost instantly when we see his reaction to her rejection. And it's just a really, really vulnerable moment. And yeah, I don't have too much to add there to what you both said. Okay, our final nominee, we have Kihoi Kwan as Wayman Wang in Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is his first Oscar nomination. He has won quite a few awards. He won at the New York Film Critics Circle, the LA Film Critics Association, Golden Globes, Critics' Choice. He was nominated at BAFTA and then at SAG, which as of recording is tonight. So we'll see if he can win there. But how do you both feel about his nomination and how it compares to some of his previous works? Well, this is one of those comeback stories that I imagine so many actors dream of, especially to come back and nail it like he did. 
you know, getting this Oscar nomination, basically sweeping the entire award season for the most part, and being in this film that so many people connect with, and being such a meaningful, emotional key, for lack of a better word, um, to, to the story. And it's probably a huge part of why so many people respond to the film in the way that they do is his performance. I, I feel like this was a very difficult role to pull off, actually, and not turn it into a kind of just doormat husband type, you know, who you just sort of pity. And it feels like as much of a um, caricature as what Jamie Lee Curtis feels like she's doing, you could see a similar type of situation here where he's just kind of like the beta male husband. And that's just, that's just all he is. But this character is he's so pure in his spirit and you do root for him even if uh evelyn is supposed to be of course the person we see this whole story through you want to see him the happiest you he has so much enthusiasm and positivity and that's just him i think key as an as a person is he has all this enthusiasm as we've seen all award season long and I think all of that really lends itself perfectly to this character and I really do just keep going back to the feeling that this could have gone very wrong um, in terms of really being kind of super cheesy and almost pathetic type of character and you know when he has those badass moments as Alpha Waymond or the sort of Wan Kar Wai version of Waymond that could also be overdone or he could have maybe embarrassed himself I don't know maybe he was worried about that as well after all those years away but I think he finds just the right frequency for exactly what each character needs and what each scene needs without overdoing it and I think what isn't talked about as much is how he is able to show his frustration with his wife and kind of just show those subtle moments of heartbreak whenever she kind of says something that is a little too dismissive about him. Those little beautiful little moments of disappointment on his face, I think, really help to shade in this character. Um, And of course, I love all of the big highlights of the film, which I think is, you know, his laundry and taxes speech, the beautiful montage of their life together. And, you know, the scene right before that, which is where he's saying that, he's wondering if all of this was his fault. It's just that the pure emotion of it that I really, I really responded to. I've seen this film four times now, actually. And um, because many of my friends have wanted to watch it and I'm like, okay, sure. I'll, I'll give it a shot. There's always something that I was missing in my previous viewings. And for me, his performance just keeps my heart grows bigger (laughs) watching him uh, in each subsequent viewing. So, yeah huge fan of this nomination obviously it's incredible yeah I think there are two things we can talk about right like the comeback story and the performance typically with roles like this or nominations like this but here I really think they're so intertwined because Mm -hmm. he was in the Goonies and Indiana Jones of course but he talks about the phone just didn't ring for him so he had to pursue other avenues in the film industry and when you think about then years later getting a role like this where you're able to then because of the multiverse concept show off everything that you 
weren't able to do because there weren't those roles for Asian American or Asian actors around and they weren't given to him. So he's able to then put everything into this role, right? You have multiple versions of this character. You have this funny, affable Waymond that works in the laundromat with Evelyn and who's dealing with that relationship and trying to like figure out what is in store for him and his wife. You have the Waymond who is across different universes and we get to see, you know, what the fallout of their relationship is like or if it would have worked in different ways. And we have the Waymond who believes in all of Evelyn's possibilities in the Alpha universe. And like you said, I think that's so difficult to pull off. It's sort of the same thing that I said about Michelle Yeoh on our lead episode, which is she's essentially playing multiple versions of this character and able to show off all of her skills as an actor that have been underappreciated throughout her career. And here, I feel like it's it's sort of the same thing, but Michelle has still been working. He hasn't. So it's almost, it's very special that you get to see him back on screen in this way. And in order for the movie to work, all of these styles of performance have to come together. They have to coalesce. If they don't, it would just feel sort of like a jumbled mess. But here we really do, I think, believe in everything that Waymond is going through and why his relationship with Evelyn is so important. I do think this is also a mother-daughter story. That's a huge part of it. But he, again, it's just, I don't know. I, I love this performance too. I think all of them being able to do everything the entire film is why we've talked about michelle why we'll talk about the two supporting actresses later today and the crux of their relationship of evelyn and waymond really it relied on both of them but i think kihoi kwan coming back working against michelle just kind of like the brian tyree henry nomination it just works so well he did an incredible job Going back, rewatching the film, I found different scenes that I had either forgotten about and, you know, seeing just his, not only his joy, but his charisma in this character and in loving it. And, you know, to see him fully break down in moments with Evelyn, but then also to see him fighting with his fanny pack. It's a fun role that I don't think we get all the time, even in movies like this. So I think his nomination here. I was kind of surprised to see him steamroll in the competition throughout the ceremonies and not in a bad way. You know, I love to see that and I hope he can bring it home at the Oscars. I think he can. (laughs) Yeah, pretty easily, actually. Yeah. In terms of scenes, what do you both think about what they should show at the Oscars? It's it's hard because I think I definitely had an impulse to choose one of his more emotional scenes with Evelyn so the scene where where the piece of the score this is how I fight plays but I'm actually choosing the fanny pack fight because he did his own stunts and that is I think the first part of the movie where you are really keyed into how the Daniels are playing with this world and what Kiwi Kwan is capable of as an actor and he worked really hard in getting the scene right and it is just it's really funny and I love seeing that version of Waymond in the film I think 
he is my favorite version of the character. And I just, I love the comedy that he brings to that part. And I just love seeing him again as sort of this like, action star. It's very fun. I love when he winks at her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just... Yes. <laughs> so, and like Nick said, there is like a charisma to his performance as Alpha Wayman specifically that, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just want to see him lead his own kind of action film at this point. I would definitely go with the more emotional, obvious uh, sequence, something within that entire sequence. Like It's kind of awkwardly uh, broken up uh, in terms of the laundry and taxes speech and everything, but I think I would probably go for a little bit before that, like I mentioned, with him saying that he was feeling like this was all his fault somehow, even if he couldn't really explain it. I think that you really see just like how unafraid he was to go to such a vulnerable place. So that always stuck out to me. Yeah, I love the editing of the laundry and taxes because you get to see this softer side, this more realistic side, but you also see him crying and defending Evelyn in this other climactic moment. But I think my scene and just playing off the absurdist quality to this movie and the Daniels, there's a funny scene when when he's explaining what this multiverse is to Evelyn and they're hiding and he found these bagels and he's like oh my god in this other universe there are no cows so like he's drinking half and half and eating all the cream cheese it's and then he has a spit take when Evelyn says something I think it's just so funny and perfect that it would be a little bit of relief during the show yeah Nick, we are such Midwesterners because when that scene came up about the dairy, I was like, oh my God, a world, a universe without cheese or milk. Like, what would I, what would I do? We don't want it. We don't want it. (laughs) So who would both of your write-in votes be for this category? There are many options. Uh, It's hard to pick just one. I do, obviously. Paul Dano is a very, you know, everyone kind of agrees that he was unfortunately looked over yet again still is waiting for his first nomination love mark rylance and bones and all what a strange strange performance that is but somehow it worked for me my person that i picked though is someone who i don't think got like any critic mentions at all but i thought was really great in the film which is stephen young in nope yes Uh, i (laughs) just honestly even just for his recalling like the SNL sketch that they did about Gordy's home that whole thing with talking about like Chris Kattan and just like the way that he's able to spin a story uh is just very captivating to me so I just love seeing him also in that kind of a role as that kind of like charismatic leader type yeah I love him in general so I was thrilled to see him in a in a role like that he is on my list too. He has been my personal supporting actor winner so many times, or at least an honorable <laughs> mention. Like his performance in Burning, oh my god. I feel like he does that like sinister, beautiful, like he has oh, it's yes. just he's such a charismatic actor, but the way that he when he stops and you see that glazed over like look in his eyes after he's like thinking about something in mm-hmm. Nope. It's crazy. He's so, so good in that part. My pick would be a very under-the-radar performance from an under-the-radar film. I'm choosing Justin H. Min from After Yang. He plays Yang in the film. And I was just floored by what he 
brought to this character. He's playing an android, and he is effectively in the movie just recounting his memories. And it's done in a way that is a little off because he's an android, of course. But I feel like that's just such a challenging role to take on. And I feel like he did something brand new. We've seen a lot of films about aliens or androids or robots with Alicia Vikander in Ex Machina, like people like that. But here, I feel like he does something that is completely different that I had never seen before. Good choice. Yeah, great movie. And Kevin, you mentioned Paul Dano, but I would almost nominate him for The Batman. Something Mm. just completely terrifying. (laughs) I think The Fablemans is the obvious choice, but a film early in the year that blew me away in ways that I didn't expect. And one of those reasons was Paul Dano because he was very transformative. It's gruesome. It's not something that would ever get nominated. It's so different from the Fablemans. (laughs) It is. The range. (laughs) The range, truly. Uh, My choice would be someone that you mentioned also, Kevin. It would be Mark Rylance for Bones and All, a film that was also (laughs) overlooked by the Academy in many ways. But this performance was so creepy that it is in ways very different from the movie itself and the other performances we get that are a lot more sensitive. But the way that he portrays this character, the way that he drools, and the way that we learn about this world through him is so unsettling, but it also makes him feel really human when he's kind of not. So it was probably one of the year's most different performances, and I appreciate that as well. It's only something Luca and Mark Rylance could have come up with. Mm -hmm. The hair braid is something that will forever like live in my mind and disturb me in a way that nothing else in a movie about cannibals did so i'll offer that (laughs) i love mark rylance in this like creepy old dude era Mm -hmm. it's just something about it he's he's got that niche now (laughs) yeah and who do you guys think should win I think that Ki Hui Kwan should win this. It's truly a performance that lives up to the title of the film. Truly, he gets to show everything from his range, from the comedy chops to the charisma to the action star to the emotional core. And he's such a key, again, key part of the film that I can't uh, divorce my feelings on the film, which I do quite like from his performance i think he's such a foundational part of it i think all three of the older actors we have here all deserve it i will say kihoi kwan i'll put him in here that i think he should win he's given a lot of speeches this season that are just so heartfelt you know from the his first golden globes speech where he mentioned spielberg and thanks him and things all got very teary for viewers and himself and He's really embraced this moment, and from here, I think, is definitely going to change his life again. So it's really a heartwarming moment that he really deserves. Yeah, I feel like when he wins the Oscar, two weeks from our recording time, (laughs) it will be a really, really beautiful moment. I have absolutely no problems with him winning whatsoever. I'm just going to share my favorite performance from the group, which is Brian Tyree Henry and Causeway. I feel like just based on like my personal taste and sort of the, the types of performances that I really cling on to, 
this was one that surprised me in so many ways and I think is my favorite also because I never expected them to go for the type of performance like this because it's so restrained, like we said. But we really, I think, it's the perfect perfect way for us to see Brian Tyree Henry's skills as an actor. All right, moving on to supporting actress. Our nominees here, we have Angela Bassett as Ramonda in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow as Liz in The Whale, Carrie Condon as Siobhan in The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis as Deirdre Bobirdra in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Hsu as Joy Wong and Jobu Topaki in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Let's get started with Angela Bassett. This is her second Oscar nomination. Her last nomination was in 1993 for What's Love Got to Do With It, where she lost Best Actress to Holly Hunter in The Piano. This season, she won the Golden Globe and the Critics' Choice Award, and she was nominated at BAFTA and at SAG. What do you guys think of Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and how do you think this performance like fits into the rest of her career? Mm, well, I will get this out of the way. I guess Angela Bassett did the thing! <laughs> Truly. <laughs> it's, yes. it's been in my head right. every single day since the BAFTAs. It's a bop. Uh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Angela Bassett? Uh, you know, she is just one of those actresses who is so, could just contain so much gravitas and range. I think she's a gifted comedic actress as well. But mm-hmm. especially when she tears into these quasi Shakespearean kind of roles, as much as I find it strange to compare Black Panther to Shakespeare, the sense of her, you know, playing a, a queen and just carrying herself with that dignified presence that is Angela Bassett's bread and butter so this is interesting because I think the circumstances behind the scenes and also considering how special Black Panther is within the MCU it's kind of like this nomination itself is like its own thing like this is not one of those nominations that is like oh we've opened up the floodgates and now you know, Marvel is going to get a bunch of acting nominations in the future. This feels to me like this was its own thing. Black Panther has always been its own thing. And the circumstances of Chadwick Boseman's passing, I think, clearly weighed heavily over the production and adds this kind of element to this performance where she is having to grieve for the loss of her friend and co-star Chadwick Boseman as what Jed's Queen Ramonda is grieving the loss of T'Challa. And so it's very hard to separate that. But I think she really does exactly what needs to be done in delivering that sense of gravitas and emotional impact, even within the confines of this having to be a Marvel film that has a lot that is also going on outside of her. But she is, once again, I, I go back to her being such an emotional core of the film and you know the passion and the the pain it feels genuine and it feels raw to me so i think yeah it's one of those things where outside elements are informing her performance and also informing our own feelings on her performance and possibly informing why she has such a strong narrative this year but when she just delivers a speech like when she says have i not given everything there are very few actors like her that could have carried off, you know, a scene like that with so much 
intensity and just raw energy and not have it verge into camp. In a lot of ways that this film matured from the first Black Panther, I think Angela really took it there. And she needed to because she is this centerpiece to the film and to the cast that, you know, she was given a lot more screen time to work with. And even though it's pretty much sequestered to the first half or first third of the film, I think her presence, like other characters we talked about in supporting actor, really stick with you. It's not only seeing her more in the passing of the Black Panther and Chadwick Boseman, but also in how she mentors Shuri and in bringing her up as that next Black Panther. So it's working as this motherly role that, you know, she's had this wonderful, illustrious career that she can also bring into this character. And I love that we start the movie off with her. You know, she is this commanding presence and she makes everybody know that in the audience and in this meeting that's going on. And I love from that moment to her end, that has to be the scene. Is there even a question? You know, I am queen of the most powerful nation of the world. It's like, how could you not vote for this person again, who deserves another nomination? Yeah. Angela Bassett is an icon. She is a legend. She's the type of actress where you look at her and you think, how does she not have an Oscar? Like, it just makes sense that she should have one. And I think you're right, Kevin. Like, this nomination is its own thing altogether. Next year, we're not going to see a supporting actor or actress category flooded with performances from Ant-Man or whatever Marvel movie is coming out. And I think it's hard to give a good performance in a Marvel movie with the way that some of these characters are written. But I think that Angela Bassett does take it to the next level because of her skills as an actor. And she does have a theater background. She's played Lady Macbeth. She's been in a few August Wilson plays. And I think sometimes in her scenes, she is treating this dialogue as if it were written by August Wilson or Shakespeare, which to me does make me laugh because it does feel somewhat over the top, but not in a way that makes me cringe at all. I think it's it's something where it's fun to like see her in these scenes go a little bit over the top with these lines and you still feel her star power and her magnetism throughout the film. It's impossible to not. She's Angela Bassett, but I do think that she takes this character to a level that honestly the script doesn't call for necessarily, but because of who she is as an actress, I think she was able to make it more and earn this nomination. And what would you guys pick as her Oscar scene? I know we floated the one scene around in particular (laughs) where she talks about being queen, but are there any others? Is that the scene? What do you guys think? That is the obvious one. And Mm -hmm. I think it is very clearly the one that they're going to go with. I mean, she does have the scene where she is talking to all the other nations of the world and... Mm -hmm. I actually wrote down the way that she says uh, how, like, you know, they're because they're looking for this special vibranium that only Wakanda has. And when she just says, we wish you the best of luck (laughs) in the sense of like, good luck trying to find it, her kind of playfulness with it. 
that's another fun one. But yeah, it's it's very obviously going to be her just tearing up the screen, you yeah. know, shouting, have I not given everything? Yes. Yeah, she has these wonderful moments with Shuri that are a lot smaller and more intimate. But in another moment when, you know, we could be seeing her with the crown and with the award, I, I think it's seeing her be more explosive on screen and, you know, giving her that power. I think that is where it's going to be, too. Yeah, I, of course, do want to, like, bring up some of her quieter scenes with Shuri, especially because initially, before the passing of Chadwick Boseman, this film was essentially going to be a father-son story, and they really had to make those changes, and I think that you do feel the importance of the relationship here between Ramonda and Shuri, and, like, I love the scenes when they're just talking to each other or when Namor arrives and you just feel their power, I think, as characters. But yeah, it has to be that scene because when she just yells out, I am queen of the most powerful nation, you believe her. Okay, next up, we have Hong Chao as Liz in The Whale. This is her first Oscar nomination, and she was also nominated at SAG and BAFTA. She's had quite a year. This is her third film. So what do you both think about this nomination compared to her other performances? I will just start by saying that I generally like most of the films in contention this year in these above-the-line categories, and The Whale is not one of them. I really was not a fan of Aronofsky's approach to it. Uh, struck me as very disingenuous uh unfortunately i mean generally i am a fan of his so i i struggled with this one but uh luckily i do think it is saved by a few performances i think brendan fraser does his best here and i think ultimately hong chow does end up being the mvp kind of by default and i've been a fan of hers for a few years now as she's continued to get these really interesting sort of plum roles she's great in the menu from this year I just like how dialed in she is in so many of her performances. Like, she doesn't miss a beat. And I think that does extend to what she is doing here in The Whale, which could be a little overdone in another actor's hands because of uh, how sort of broad strokes the film is in general. And I do think that some of the other actors do struggle with that aspect of it. But Hong Chao just feels so real to me. She kind of just cuts through the noise and is able to just come into this film just fully formed, fully understanding this character who is jaded and cynical and dealing with this past trauma of what happened to her brother, which has to do with like the family and the church and everything. And she's frustrated, rightfully so. So I was actually a big fan of her performance in general, while still not really liking the film around her. And honestly, I wish this first nomination could have been for a better film uh but at least she is academy award nominee hong chow yeah i generally love hong chow and her performance in kelly reichert's showing up which is coming out this year is amazing and i will be campaigning for that and maybe pretending that her first nomination is for that and not for the whale i've I've been on the record a few times this season about my issues generally with The Whale and just how I feel about 
Aronofsky's direction and Samuel D. Hunter's writing and how those sometimes feel at odds with each other. And I'm going to say some similar things that I said about Brendan's performance, which is that it's hard for Hong Chao, I think, to overcome some of Aronofsky's directing choices and Hunter's writing choices. The performance is over the top and it's reaching for something that I feel like is in an entirely different movie altogether and a better one potentially. And I feel like he just sort of set her up for something of an impossible task. However, I do think of all the performances, Hong Chao gave my favorite one, I think, because she was the only character in the film who I felt like had a life outside of that room. And that, I feel like, isn't due to the writing. It's due to her performance and what she brought to it. I think one of her great skills as an actress is she has this great sensitivity that she brings to all of her roles, paired with a very dry sense of humor that comes through her performances. And I think that's why she's the perfect choice for Liz here. You get these moments where she's pretty funny, actually, and there's a little bit of dry humor in what could be a totally dour film altogether. But yeah, I think the failings of this character, again, are the failings of the script in the direction, not of Chow's performance. I think... I just wish the script went into those contradictions of her character further. You know, why is she a healthcare worker who feels compelled to bring Charlie meatball subs and fried chicken? Like, there's something there. Go there. Explore that. What about this relationship with Alan, who was with Charlie, but who is also her brother? She starts to get there. But the limitations, again, are because of the script failing her, I think, as an actor. So while I'm not a fan of the movie, I'm absolutely okay with her being nominated here. I think she should be Academy nominated Hong Chao for Driveways. Love A few that. years back. Really good. Incredible film, incredible performance. And she's bringing a lot of what she's doing in that movie here, or she's trying to. You know, you talk about the comedy and there's also comedy and not probably what they wanted it to be but it's there but i think the humanity in this film really comes from her character from liz and what she can give to her there are two main scenes where this happens and it's when she's talking to charlie on the couch and they're just having this small moment together passing the time even though she knows what's going to happen eventually to him Um, and there's another scene outside on the balcony when she's talking to the missionary and like you mentioned Kevin she's telling the story of her brother and of Charlie and why she cares about him so much and why she's here doing the things that she's doing even though again she knows that he's going to die so I think in trying to understand Charlie's character we have to look at Liz for a lot of this background and to try to really understand and I think, like you said, Sophia, in a better film, I think we'd look to Charlie for that, not to Liz. But I like how the characters can at least play off of each other and make us feel apart from the final scene where we are obviously meant to feel. So I think Hong Chao, what she does for Liz, is a big part of why this version of the movie works. So 
Oscar scenes. What are we thinking? I would go with the balcony scene that you mentioned with talking with the missionary, you know, telling this story of her brother being rejected by the church and by extension their family and how painful that was, even in the middle of this very overwritten film full of people just saying directly what they feel and with very little subtext uh she is really able to access something here that does feel raw and like something that this character would still be kind of reckoning with and also really demonstrating why she has such hostility to this missionary character plus also why she feels so responsible for charlie and his well-being all of those things kind of, you know, balancing all of that and sort of clarifying that for the audience to explain who she is. So, yeah, I think that's really the only one that I would say is her really getting the chance to shine and demonstrate her skills beyond what is asked of her. I completely agree. That's my scene as well. And that is the scene that made me think, oh, this character actually, there's something more to her. She has a life outside of that room, not just because the scene is like finally outside of that room, but because (laughs) you see that she is bringing specific, really difficult experiences into that room every time she goes to visit Charlie. And I think that she does, again, try her best to elevate a very heavy-handed script I totally agree. I think getting this story from her, I was finally like entranced and interested in what this backstory to Charlie was. And to hear her say, he doesn't need saving. I am the only one who can help him. It helped me to understand who these characters are, but also why he's doing the things that he's doing to himself and why there really is no future, even though we want that for him. Okay, let's move on to our next nominee, Carrie Condon as Siobhan in The Banshees of Inisherin. This is her first Oscar nomination, and this season she was nominated at the Golden Globes, SAG Awards, and Critics' Choice, and won the BAFTA. What did you guys think of Carrie Condon's performance as Siobhan? I love this nomination. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this is one of those cases where, yes, it helps that she is in a film that the Academy loved, and is great as a film itself, but it really does feel like this was earned on merit rather than star power because, you know, she'd been working for a while. She's not truly like a newcomer, like some people might think, but truthfully, I only ever knew her from Better Call Saul, you know, having no Mm -hmm. idea that she was even Irish. Um, So this did kind of feel like a discovery or at least an opening up of this actor's abilities for me. And she really commits to it and is making this character come alive even when this story isn't about her you know this is a for me like a textbook example of someone making the most of a small part because watching it again like I just did a few days ago I was struck by how much of an impression that she leaves even though we rarely get to see anything from her perspective outside of her final scene which is leaving on the boat and There's something about her that she is capturing the very authentic Irish spirit, kind of like tough but fair and hearty, you know, and not afraid to call people out, uh, but also someone who feels things deeply and Mm -hmm. 
through so many of her scenes, she is so active and alert and never misses a beat. And she is obviously well-read and intelligent and all of that probably thinks of herself to a certain degree as a little smarter than most of the people on Inisharan. Mm -hmm. But you also see in these subtle moments how she still does have some affection for this place because it's all she's ever known. And she's with people that are all she's ever known, like her brother. And that is what makes that final shot of her so affecting, because it just feels like even though this story is not from her perspective at all, you feel like a different version of this story could be told from her perspective. And that is, in my opinion, because of what she brings to it. So, yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of this. There's that tweet going around of, oh, Carrie Condon is the woman of seven or eight billion dollar box office films. And I'm like, what films? What are we talking about? And a lot of these are Marvel films, which is not how I know her. Mm -hmm. I saw three billboards, but this is like the first big performance that I remember or knew her from. And I think in the film as Siobhan, she's the most centered character we finally feel some relief when we get to be around her because of how all these other men seem so crazy and how they're acting towards each other. So to see her and not only her decisions, but the way she interacts with the people of this island, it's comforting. You know, the literal banshee on the island, we see her, there's some comedy there and with Paul Rick, but I love how she can float between comedy and drama and dial certain things depending on who she's working with in the scene. I think by the time she leaves, we're sad to see her go, but there are moments throughout the film, I'll mention one in my scene, where we get to see her realization without her saying anything. So to get a performance like this is amazing, where earlier in the season, I wasn't necessarily sure she would get nominated because again it's a smaller performance it's crucial to this film but I was worried nonetheless so I'm happy she's here and I will say more later (laughs) yeah I think she is fantastic as Siobhan what she and McDonough do quite brilliantly is introduce her first as an observer really and as the script unfolds you see her own very important character arc and how suffocating Inisharan can be for someone like her and how that sort of suffocation is different for a really smart young woman like Siobhan than how it feels for someone like Dominic or Colm in what they're going through on the island. And I just, I love her. I love her humor. The you're all feckin' boring is incredible. I just, I really related to her, honestly, in this movie. And I know that, like, relating to a character isn't, you know, doesn't make the performance better or anything like that. But I really did, like, see some of myself in Siobhan, which really keyed me into this performance, I think, too. And I I feel like even though, yes, you're sad to see her go, but you're so happy to, like, see her moving on to something else. I love how feisty she is. She does have that Irish spirit. And the performance, I think, really is so emotional. You get to see her be really explosive and go off on a number of different characters in a way that I really love. And you also get to see those gentler moments when she's speaking to Paul Rick or to Dominic. So 
yeah, I love this performance. I also had to look up, Nick, what these billion-dollar movies were, and she voices a character called Friday across a number of Marvel films. I don't know who this is, but good for her. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Get that coin. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What would you guys choose as her Oscar scene? I think she has a lot of options, honestly, here. I think, you know, if we're kind of balancing out, because I feel like there's going to be so many, like, heavyweight dramatic scenes, I do think a more comedic scene would be good for her. I really love the awkward dinner scene with Dominic Mm -hmm. and, like, saying she'd rather the donkey stay with them than him. Uh, Mm -hmm. She just really just nails the tone of, you know, McDonough's writing and... Yeah, I just love the kind of punch that she gives so many of her line deliveries. Yeah, I love when she corrects Colm and says it was 18th, not 17th century. That's a fun moment. I mm-hmm. think I would choose later on from the scene when she says you're all fucking boring and screams <laughs> it. I love just her facial expression in that moment. But Colm says, I worry sometimes I'm just entertaining myself while I stave off the inevitable. Don't you? And just watching her react to that statement, you kind of understand in that moment that she needs to leave. She needs to get off this island and have her own life. And just to see it wash over her face without saying anything, she just leaves, I think is a really strong moment for her. And I love that. I love these. I guess I've given that for Brendan and Brian Tyree Henry. I I love these moments, just watching them react without having to say a whole lot i would pick that scene when she's particularly harsh with dominic at the table where he's asking her were you ever wild because it also acts as a really nice pairing with the scene that comes later on when she's so gentle with him and seemingly understands him a bit more and how to like deal with this character but i just love how funny she is in the scene and I feel like we do again to balance out everything like need a comedic scene because she's so so good at those of showing like her resolve and her power as a character but also what she's had to deal with as one of the few women on in Sharon. it has to be awful but we really do I think see that and we see her approach and her humor in that scene Okay, next up, we have camp legend Jamie Lee Curtis as Deirdre Bobirdra in Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is her glorious first nomination. She's gotten every nomination this season, all of the big award shows, Golden Globes, SAG, BAFTA, and Critics' Choice. What do you both think about this nomination compared to her other works? Go ahead, Sophia. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for, you know, passing the baton to me. Mm-hmm. It's quite difficult to talk about this performance and nomination because I am really excited for Jamie Lee Curtis that she has a nomination. She has been the biggest cheerleader of everything, everywhere, all at once. I love how she signed on to this role because of Michelle Yeoh and how open she is about that and how she said she would do anything to be in a movie with Michelle Yeoh and here she proved that right she really did anything to be in a movie with Michelle Yeoh and initially I didn't think she had a lot of screen time that sort of warranted a nomination like this it felt and sometimes feels like the type of nomination that's a career nomination 
But also, it's the fact that she's in the Best Picture frontrunner. So it is definitely a career nomination. I would have nominated her for Freaky Friday or for True Lies, personally. I feel like she does have great nomination-worthy material throughout her career. This performance in particular and this role, I would not say is particularly nomination-worthy just because she doesn't make a huge impact in the way that other characters do. I don't think, though, that the character exists really in a way that is supposed to pack a major emotional punch. There isn't a lot of there there in the character or the performance for me to say this should be someone as great as Jamie Lee Curtis's first Oscar nomination. Yeah, I obviously think Jamie Lee Curtis is an icon. She is, you know, the ultimate Nepo baby. (laughs) Not even in a bad way, honestly. Like, she's really carved out her own path. And I'm happy for her in general that she got to do what her parents did, which is to receive an Oscar nomination finally after coming so close over the years with things like True Lies and A Fish Called Wanda, even. And I enjoy the novelty of seeing Jamie Lee Curtis in such a ridiculous kind of role Mm -hmm. here, just totally giving herself over to the vision of the Daniels. You see that she was definitely game for whatever they threw at her. I did not need this nomination. I love everything everywhere all at once. Um, It's, you know, one of my favorite movies of the year. I even like its goofiness, which a lot of people are mixed on and which I get. But I think for her, she kind of overcranks the ridiculousness here for me in a way that I found kind of funny on a first watch, but then on repeat viewings, I don't really get a lot out of her. I think the voice she's doing is a little forced, to be honest. Doesn't really feel all that natural. And it kind of starts to feel like dress up, ultimately. And what's interesting is I watched her uh, variety, Actors on Actors, with Colin Farrell, Mm -hmm. where she was talking about finding, like, the interiority of the character as this woman who, like, doesn't have a lot in her life. And therefore, she wields this power that you know, she has at work to make up for a lack of control in her personal life. And like, I get that. I understand where it's coming from. I don't really see a lot of that in her performance, to be honest. And, you know, it's not entirely her fault. Um, I think the script doesn't really give her a lot of opportunity to explore her as a human being. We do get a little bit in like the parallel universe with the hot dog fingers where she's in this relationship with Evelyn and there's this nice bit of like tenderness with her and Michelle Yeoh. But otherwise, yeah, I I wish it was a nomination that I could get more excited about beyond just being able to say Academy Award nominee Jamie Lee Curtis ultimately. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, we talk about her having this career and Sophia, you mentioned True Lies and Freaky Friday and we might as well just look at the Globes and her nominations there because she has nominations for both. She's won. She's kind of been nominated for a splattering of everything that she's done. But she's really in these roles that don't get nominated by the Academy anyway. You know, she's known as Laurie Strode and Halloween is not getting nominated at the Oscars, no matter how hard you try or whoever remakes this film. So it's not really a fault of hers, but I feel like she takes roles or enjoys roles that 
don't live in this awardsy space necessarily. I think she, like her awards campaign has been this whole season, veers on the absurdist and wacky quality of her character. Getting to see her staple her forehead and fight Michelle Yeoh, but also to get more emotional and a scene that I might choose is, you know, her playing the piano with her toes in this hot dog universe. So we we get to see her doing a lot of not normal things, but I think she loves that too. And that's all we've heard her talk about. You know, she has praised Michelle and the Daniels and all of her co-stars this season. So whether or not this nomination feels like a nomination worthy performance I think her heart is in the right place and she's at least doing what she should to be supporting this film. And honestly, I would be thankful that I would have gotten here too. So it's fun to see. I'm kind of ready for it all to be over, but I'm glad she got what she has wanted all these years. Yeah. I mean, I would be insufferable Uh if I was an Oscar nominee. (laughs) I can't even imagine. So I'm enjoying her Instagram captions as long as they last. Yeah, I was going to say it is kind of refreshing to have someone be very openly happy and celebrating the fact that she's getting this nomination and actually wanting it and making it known that she wants it because that isn't something that happens very much anymore. Mm-mm. So so what would you both pick for her Oscar scene? I would actually pick the scene when she first meets the Wongs at the IRS building because I do think she is quite funny in that scene and that is a character when we first meet her where yes like the costume and her accent and everything it's very goofy and over the top but at the same time we know this type of woman or at least i do like all too well like the person you go to to do your taxes or someone who works at the business office at your job or an accountant like it's a rendering of a very particular person who works in that environment and I feel like she plays with that really well and I love Michelle Yeoh in this scene and how they play off of each other so I think I would pick this one yeah and I think that is probably what they are going to go with obviously you know her being like I see a story you know that's just like (laughs) yeah academy that's been played so much yes I actually really like the bit at the end outside the laundromat sort of like teaching Evelyn how to vape yeah (laughs) and she's talking about something like you know cold-hearted bitches like them or something along those lines I don't know I appreciate that scene from her because it feels like a little more natural but Mm -hmm. otherwise yeah it's almost definitely going to be the one that you said yeah I don't think the fighting scenes would make it but it's also fun seeing her in those moments there's not a lot of range that you get to see but I think having a scene with her and Michelle would be the most meaningful in terms of showcasing her performance because that's who she's been uplifting outside of the film. And I think it's where she really gets to shine in the movie. And our last nominee in the category, we have Stephanie Hsu, who plays Joy and Jobu Topaki in Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is her first Oscar nomination, and this season she was nominated at the Critics' Choice Awards and at SAG. She also earned a couple of nominations across the season for a breakthrough performance, but what do you guys think about Stephanie Hsu's nomination and performance? It's interesting to me how this film, you know, really has these two 
diametrically opposed viewpoints of the world with how people view the world today, like with Ki Hui Kwan kind of representing this person who still wants to see the goodness and everything and having a life that is worth fighting for, even when things aren't perfect. And then you have Stephanie Shu being this kind of disaffected millennial who is traumatized by previous generations and this world that has been made for us and is now cynical about everything because of how things are going in the world. And it feels like there isn't a lot that is worth fighting for. And she has that kind of disaffected tone, more so as Jobu Tapaki, but even as Joy, there's a kind of hopelessness to it that does make you sympathize with her. And as she's, you know, dealing with her mother saying she's gotten too fat or telling her father that Becky is just a friend, not her girlfriend. And you see, you know, like the color fading from her face in those moments. And then to have that contrasted with Jobu Tupaki, this other version of herself that feels everything and now realizes that nothing matters. It's a really fascinating performance and something we really haven't seen very much acknowledged by the Oscars in terms of being kind of like a cartoonish villain and is so loud and in your face and kind of bratty. And she has like that kind of arrogant tone that you could imagine you might have if you were some kind of all-knowing being. I do think there are moments there that can sometimes go on the hammy side. I get that that's part of, you know, the character, but I think I prefer the parts of her performance that are just her facing off with Evelyn and sort of testing her and seeing how she'll react because that's what the heart of the story is, is this daughter who's trying to connect with her mother and feel what she feels. And I feel that you do see, even when she's throwing everything at her mother, that there is that kind of hint of desperation or that feeling of her mother could just put an end to all of this if she just reaches out and connects with her in a genuine way. And so that's the part of uh, the performance that I really connected with is is that feeling of like I'm just gonna come at you with all these different directions and all it is is me trying to reach out in my own way even if you don't understand where I'm coming from I think Stephanie's character is given the most range in this film besides Michelle besides Evelyn and I think that helps one with this nomination but two in us getting to know her because yes the different lives that she has but and understanding, you know, who she is with Becky and why she's a little despondent with her parents. And even in this absurdist world, we get to see this human, realistic performance from her. And I think it's one from the movie that, you know, I was worried about showing up because she's really young. She's this breakthrough actress. We've seen her before in big films like Shang-Chi, but... I think after this, she's definitely going to be given bigger roles that I think she could build off of. And I think she was the perfect actress to showcase the funny, but also the villainous in Jobu. And it's fun to see her play with that throughout the film. Yeah, I think that this nomination is really exciting, especially considering we weren't sure if it was going to happen. And I think a lot of the frustration around Jamie Lee Curtis's nomination came from people who just really wanted to see Stephanie Hsu nominated for this movie because 
her performance was the one that they connected with. And my first time watching this film, I thought that the entire movie, or at least most of my focus, was spent on Evelyn and Waymond and their relationship throughout these different verses. And then when I watched it the second time, the whole movie changed for me, and I was so fixated on Joy and what her struggle was like with her mother and how with everything that we know about Evelyn and her experience as an immigrant and leaving home and like taking this leap, realizing that, you know, maybe that wasn't worth it. Like, what am I good at after all? Was there another life out there for me? And seeing that her daughter is effectively like going through that same point in her life where like she's in a relationship that's important to her, but she has a sense of aimlessness too that Evelyn had at that time in her life. And you start to understand, or at least I started to understand the frustration that Evelyn had with joy in seeing herself maybe in her daughter, but also being totally unable to understand her daughter because of those generational divides and fractures there that existed. And that was, I think, a much more like provocative thing for me to think about in the film because I think with Jobu Topaki that character is fun but it she's a cartoon villain and Stephanie Shu leans into that and we get to see her range as an actress in those moments but I was I think fixated on how hammy like you said some of that could feel but this time I thought about for someone like Stephanie Shu who's a breakthrough actor who hasn't been around in the industry for very long to play a character who is in one universe, like I said, totally sort of aimless, doesn't know what she wants to do, doesn't know how she wants to like fix this relationship with her mom, even though she knows she needs to, to a character who is all-knowing all of a sudden. Stephanie Hsu does a great job with it, and it's a good nomination. What would you guys pick for her Oscar scene? I think I would go for when she is showing, as Jobu Topaki, showing Evelyn the everything bagel. (laughs) And we get that enormous close-up of her saying, nothing matters. And you see, even in the middle of this kind of cartoonish uh, performance that she's giving as Jobu, you do kind of see, like, what's brought her to that point and the emotion of that. I think that would be a nice, easy one for her. I mean, she truly has so many that anything could suffice. I think the obvious one is at the end with Evelyn, when Evelyn finally gets to say, I don't want to be here either in this universe when there are so many others. And you get to see Joy crying and just giving it back to her. I love that. But yeah, I'm going to go fun here. I'm going to say when we first really meet Jobu and She's in this Elvis costume and she gets shot from behind and she goes, mm, it's organic <laughs> and holds up that ketchup bottle. It again showcases what this movie is doing so much, but you get to see her change from like extremely shocked to just playful. And that's really what Stephanie is doing with this character. I went with the emotional one. So I'm picking the same scene that I chose for Michelle Yeoh. I just feel like the mother-daughter relationship is the core of the film to me. And I love that moment from Stephanie at the end. You just feel, 
everything that she has been holding in as a character and finally being able to share that with her mom. I think it's a, it's a really cathartic moment for the film and to hold your own with Michelle Yeoh as a young actress, she should be very, very proud of herself, I think. All right. So who would your write-in vote be? Okay. Well, mine is the one that I feel like everyone was talking about this supporting actress nomination lineup is going to be between six actresses and one of them is going to miss out. That is the person I'm picking here, which is Dolly DeLeon for Triangle of Sadness, which is a movie I was mixed on overall. But I found that when we got to that third act where she really got to shine, just what a force (laughs) is what I kind of took away from uh, what she was able to do just to kind of snatch it out from, you know, Harris Dickinson and everyone else in the film to the point that uh, she was the only actor I was thinking about at the end of the film. And what she's able to do with a close-up, especially that uh, one of the final scenes where she is holding a rock and is approaching a certain character, that's acting. (laughs) I love that. Mm -hmm. Dolly D. Oh my god, Hong Mm -hmm. Chao, Dolly D. That's right. (laughs) I would have loved to have seen her here. I mean, she was in at BAFTA, but another one, I have a few fun ones. One that we talked about earlier in the year was Jodie Turner-Smith from After Yang. Another performance in that film that is really subdued and beautiful. Um, I'm going to go with a different kind of beautiful performance and say Rachel Sennett in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Oh my god. I love it. (laughs) Can we just talk about feeling so seen when she is talking about how hard it is to make a podcast? It's so, so great. I I choked when she said that in the movie. I was like, oh my Mm -hmm. god, that's too accurate. Too real. Too real. Mm -hmm. It's just something that her coming from Shiva Baby... I don't know. She shows so much exuberance. And I think before long, we'll hopefully be saying Academy nominee Rachel too. But she really held this movie together. And for that scene alone, when she's talking about the podcast, it's like, yes, I feel this. I understand this. Let alone her crawling on the ground in this darkened house. She's just so much fun. I love both of those picks. I was especially sad for Dolly DeLeon because Triangle of Sadness did so well otherwise. So Mm -hmm. I thought for sure she could get in. I agree. The third act of the film is by far the best for me, not just because I love Survivor and it reminded me of that, but I thought she was wonderful. Yeah, she should go on a season of Survivor. That would be perfect. She would win. Yeah, she easily. (laughs) And Rachel Sennett for Bodies, 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 perfect comedic performance. Love her ad lib of he's a Libra moon about Lee Pace again. Like I just felt almost dragged by some of the dialogue in this movie, especially from this character where I was like, Oh God, that is an excuse I would make. Don't do that in the future. Anyway, my write and vote here would be for the great Nina Haas who plays Sharon in tar. I really wanted this nomination to happen all year. But this performance is just so subtle. Everything happens in just quick glances or approving nods. And I feel like what she does here, she shows her power in the relationship too, in really subtle and delicate ways. And I love, for instance, when Lydia brings up the 
companion piece for the Mahler Five. And there's a moment where Sharon gives a look like, oh, that, that could work. That's a good choice. And you see that point that Lydia brings up at the beginning in her speech with Adam Gopnik that the original conductor before the conductor was the first violin, which would be Sharon. So I love this performance. I love what Nina Haas brings to it. And I hope she's nominated one day in the future. Amen. And who do you think should win? I think Carrie Condon should win. She would get my vote. Uh, I think what she's able to do with limited screen time is just make such a big impression. And I am very excited to see what she is able to do after this, possibly. And perhaps even get even more substantial roles, maybe a leading role, who knows. I say this as someone who's coming off talking about the 60s on my show. This nomination actually reminds me of Patricia Neal and HUD. Oh. Uh, yeah, in the sense that like she feels like she is living out her own life kind of in parallel with the rest of the dynamics that are going on here. And she is going to go off and live her life somewhere else and do her own thing and... We can only guess what that might be, but she is able to kind of show that she is this three-dimensional person and she's not defined by her relationships with other people. So that's that's why I really responded to this performance. I think Carrie Condon should win too. She would be my pick pretty easily. I love this performance and what she's able to do with it. I think the Patricia Neal comparison is excellent because that was what stood out to me about her character and about her performance was that she's not defined by all of these frustrating or funny relationships with the men in the film and how she speaks with them and how she's sort of the voice of reason and the solid, sturdy character at the center. She has her own life, her own skills, her own goals outside of that. And I feel like Carrie Condon really plays this character perfectly and She and McDonough, I think, are certainly a great match. But yeah, I would love to see a leading role for her somewhere else, too. I would also pick Carrie. I think she does a wonderful job here. When I rewatch this film, I love watching her. You know, she is, it's hard to say showcase, but yeah, I just love her performance. I'm curious, Kevin, because you won't be back for predictions and we're not really doing predictions, but is it a Carrie-Angela battle? for the Oscar with Carrie's BAFTA win. It certainly seems to be that way. I do think she is probably the alternative. And I think there are situations in which Carrie does upset in the end because she has the more beloved film and the most traditional kind of performance compared to for as much as, you know, Angela Bassett is doing a great job. It is still a Marvel film. And I don't know how many people still might have baggage about it. So... Yeah, I mean, I would be very crushed for Angela if she got this far and got all of these accolades all the way up to this and then it got snatched out from under her. I am speaking from experience when I say that. But um, (laughs) Sounds oddly familiar. (laughs) Yes, but I would be satisfied if it did go to, you know, to keep the parallels going to a a UK talent (laughs) on the rise. (laughs) I really hope Angela doesn't wear a gold dress. Oh, God. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming back on the show. This was so much fun to talk with you about the supporting 
categories, let our listeners know where they can find you and your wonderful podcast. Well, thank you both so much. I love talking with both of you about this. You're both so thorough and you do such a great job. I actually love this series that you do where you break down all of these categories, like every single one, including the shorts. I think that is... (laughs) You're doing a good service, so I appreciate you for that. <laughs> but you could find me on Twitter at Kevin underscore Jacobson. And my podcast is And The Runner Up Is, where we do something very similar to what we just did, which is break down acting categories. And I'm doing Best Actress. Right now, I am in the middle of the middle to end of the 60s. So the times they are changing in Hollywood. <laughs> New Hollywood is coming. So... Follow that, and it's at Oscar Runner Up on Twitter. Find the podcast wherever you find podcasts. And listen to the Sophia episode. Oh, my God. 1937. Yes. <laughs> oh, what a fun episode. Barbara Stanwyck, mm-hmm. Irene Dunn, mm-hmm. oh, some of my favorites. We won't mention the winner, Truly. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it was a really fun conversation. So, yeah, definitely go back it and was. listen to that episode. Next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be talking about the final categories. So we have... Both screenplays, director, and picture. If you made it this far in the Contender Series, we appreciate you. And (laughs) we can't wait for what's coming so, so soon, the Oscar ceremony. We are so, so close. And yeah, I'm excited to wrap up the series and, you know, move on to what we have in store for season four. But if you like our show, please feel free to rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at OscarWildPod. And if you really like our show, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde, where we have a fun bonus series called Oscar Wilde After Dark. The new episode coming is all about one of the nominees we discussed today, Jamie Lee Curtis and her wonderful career. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you very soon. Bye.